All right. Um, yeah, that was just great. <laughs> it's great to sing together, great to pray together. That's, that's my heart. I, I'm hoping that's coming out loud and clear. Togetherness <laughs> is my heart. And each Sunday when we are able to, to sing together, to pray together, it just, yeah, it encouraged me greatly. And uh, I'm sensing the same <laughs> for, for a, a lot of us here. Um, so we're in a series uh, right now on spiritual health. And uh, we're really practicing it out, I think, here this morning. And we're looking today at spiritual health from, like, the community perspective. And we're looking at the book of Ephesians to help us with that. And what's neat about Ephesians, as I've kind of noticed going through it, Paul goes back and forth between, like, an individual perspective and a community perspective. And he kind of weaves naturally back and forth between the two of them. And we're following him in that. And as we go through, we're learning what spiritual health looks like, both, you know, for me personally, for each of us personally, and then what it looks like for a community, what spiritual health looks like for a community. And today we're going to be reading and drawing from what's already been, been read today, actually, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11, going right through to the end of the chapter. Um, to get us started thinking about one of the big themes in here, I wanted to share a little story from one of my favorite TV shows, actually. So I'm going to show you a little bit more of me, and don't judge me on this, but one of my favorite TV shows is the old show Frasier. Um, how many people know Frasier? <laughs> Good, okay. So most people. It's not, I'm not dating myself too much here. Um, I was talking to Ryan beforehand, and he had no idea. So, well, he knew a little bit. knew a little bit, but so it's getting old enough now. But anyways, one of my favorite episodes in Frasier is this one where Niles and Frasier, they find out about this club, this secret exclusive club. And it's so secret and exclusive that they only found out about it because the invitation to the club was sent to Frasier's place by mistake. It was supposed to go to his neighbor. So they open up the letter and they find out this is an invitation, yep, to this new club that's in Seattle, this new club in town. First, they're outraged. Why weren't we invited to this? We're like, of course we should be invited. But then they start thinking, wait a minute, like, what is this club that we weren't even invited to it? Um, what, what could be going on there? What kind of a club could this be? So they, their curiosity gets the better of them, and they have to check it out. So Frazier and Niles, they take the invitation, and they bring it to the club, and they decide to impersonate his neighbor. And uh, that part's hilarious. They do a terrible job, but they get in. It works. They get into the club, and they find out it's this really luxurious day spa. It's a really expensive day spa, but it's like, incredibly luxurious. So they're in. They're really happy. They're like, this is like we found heaven on earth here. And they start, you know, taking in all the amenities. But then they're looking around for a moment, and they spot a door. They spot the diamond door. And they wonder, I wonder what's behind that. So they ask someone, what's behind the door? And they said, oh, we can't tell you. That's for our diamond members only. And they start thinking, wait a minute. Okay, how do I become a diamond member? Oh, sorry, you can't. That's for invitation only. It's only for our exclusive members. So they're outraged again. How could we not be invited into the diamond club? They find a way to get in there. They find a way to sneak into behind the diamond door. And they find out it's even better. It's this part of the club that's even better. It's this enchanted or um, the, what is it, this, this, the grotto, this enchanted grotto. And it's like, Randy and I both love this show. 
and it's this enchanted grotto, and it's even better. It's even more amazing, and they get to take part in even more amazing day spa treatments and all this stuff. And they're finished their treatment, and they're kind of coming to, because they've just had these like kind of crazy treatments going on. I don't know what, some color treatment you can't see for a bit. And anyways, they look around in the grotto, and they spot another door, <laughs> a platinum door. And we're going to show the clip from that point, after they found the door and decided to go try to open it. <laughs> yeah, such a classic scene. <laughs> so, okay, so why did I show that? Well, there is a segue here. And the, the idea is that as humans, we like to make kind of God's club into like an exclusive thing. But the thing is with God, there's no such thing as exclusive clubs where only certain people get to come in. But when we try and make it out to be that as humans, we all end up by the garbage out in the alley, so to speak. So that's kind of the, the theme today. Um, and we read about it in Ephesians 2, where Paul's talking about there's been this, things have been set up in such a way with God's people where it's become really exclusive. And so he's saying that what Jesus has done has kind of torn down any kind of walls that would block people out torn down any hostility so that all are welcomed into God's club, so to speak. All are welcomed into God's family. And as a result, Jesus has made a new people, a new people out of it, reconciled to each other and reconciled to God. And because of that, we have the chance to be kind of related to God and to have a relationship with God in an incredible way. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to draw from it what it looks like to be a spiritually healthy community from the, the lessons that we're going to see. And in the end, we're going to finish off with something really practical, I think a really helpful way of approaching this so that we can see, okay, what's our part in this? What's our part in keeping our community healthy? 
Good. Okay. So, and I'm glad you didn't lynch me for showing Fraser today. That's great. That was a lot of fun. And uh, so, let's dig in. Let's read together um, from Scripture. So, we're going to start at verse 11, and I'm going to read verses uh, 11 to 12. So, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that's a big theme for Paul, human hands, um, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There's this exclusivity going on there. He's speaking to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are basically anyone who's not part of the Israelite people. It can, it, throughout Scripture, that's kind of what it means. It means the nations in another translation. But now it's taken on, in Paul's day, it's really taken on a whole other connotation as well. It's taken on a negative connotation because of the Jewish leaders, because of the Pharisees, who were the kind of the dominant group at this point in terms of leadership. And Paul, what Paul's saying here, there's an element of fact, and then there's an element of opinion, an element of just what's going on, and then an element of what humans have done with things. So the fact is that, yes, he's speaking to Gentiles who, prior to knowing Christ, were in the dark about God. They were in the dark about Yahweh, the one true God. And in, as a result, they were following false gods. They were following their kind of neighborhood gods along with everyone in their community. They were following Jupiter or Venus or what have you. So they were in the dark. They didn't know about Yahweh. And so they didn't know about the hope that's there, the love that's there. They didn't know about Jesus, God's son, who was sent to show God's love. So they were in the dark without hope, as Paul says. And that doesn't say that God didn't care about them at all. It's not really meant from God's perspective. It's meant from their perspective, kind of where they were at. That's the element of fact. And then there's the element of opinion. There's this part here, and Paul is hinting at it when he says, you are called the uncircumcised by those who are proud of calling themselves the circumcised. So there, it's talking about now some boundaries that have been set up between God's people and everybody else, so to speak, where the Pharisees have really taught an exclusive club type way of thinking here. You've I'm sure you've heard this before, but the Pharisees were really teaching that, look, to be God's people, you need to be be descended of Abraham, and you need to follow the law to the T, especially how they interpreted the law. So you need to be circumcised if you're male. You need to follow all the dietary restrictions. You need to follow the Sabbath. And again, as they taught it, they were getting into some really extreme forms of following the law. And as a result, you know, the, the Gentiles weren't doing that. They weren't, they, they weren't fit in either of those criteria. So the Pharisees taught that they were the outsiders. They were really, you shouldn't even associate with them. They were unclean, and to associate with them was a bad thing. So talk about setting up that kind of outsider-insider mentality. And there, there was uh, really an unbridgeable gap going on there because of it all. And hence why Paul is saying you were alienated, you were excluded from citizenship in God's people. You can imagine, you know, I wonder if you've been at a time in your life where there was 
a group of people that you just really wanted to be part of, but they were not letting you in, so to speak. Or they're making it very hard to let you in. And this can happen at so many areas in life. You know, it could happen when you're trying to get on a sports team. You're thinking, yeah, that sports team is the one to be on. If I'm not on that, then I'm not a true hockey player, you know, or a true, whatever, it's soccer, some kind of sport. Or, or maybe it's a friend group, you know, just that group of people. If I could be part of that group, then I'll be somebody. Or maybe it's a, a business or a place where you just, you, if I could work there, you know, then I'd be somebody in my career path. Um, or a school, a school. That's where I was for me, definitely. When I was studying music coming out of Mohawk in Hamilton, the place to go next was University of Toronto. It was like, if you wanted to be a good jazz musician, you got to go to University of Toronto. Like, they produce the best. And they take only the best, they produce the best. So I was really thinking, okay, i got to get into University of Toronto. So that's the kind of mentality that's being set up here. If you want to be part of God's people, the somebodies in God's eyes, you got to join the club. And they were making that pretty hard for people. Um, And you know what? The thing was, there was hostility on both sides. So it's not like on the Gentiles' side, the everybody else side, it was just like they were just all peaceful. Because the way that the, the Jewish people were kind of like, because of the leaders were acting, there was a lot of mistrust there, a lot of kind of animosity there toward the Jewish people on the part of most Greek and Roman people. There was this combination where the higher up level of society kind of favored the Jewish people. So they didn't have to go to the local temple to worship the local God. And they didn't have to pay certain taxes. And so people looked at them and was like, what, you're, not, you're better than us? You think you're better than us? And, oh, you're not going to go to the temple and worship, you know, Jupiter or whoever it is? So you're going to put us all at jeopardy here? Because if he finds out about that, he's going to smite us all? You know, they were not happy either. So there was this really just unbridgeable gap that was going on there between the two. And the insiders were setting up walls from the outsiders and vice versa. And before, you know, I get too (laughs) self-righteous, I think through Christianity and I think through the times where we've done that as Christians, right, where we've set up walls to exclude people. So this just seems to be kind of like a human tendency when it comes to we found something we like, so we want to draw like a fence around it. But enter Jesus, and Paul's going to talk about that next, because Jesus has a way of doing the impossible. So let's read that next, starting at verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one, and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed." And you know what, as I've really thought about this again this week, I don't think I can fully appreciate just what Paul is saying here. It's such a big deal, you know, and it's hard because we're in so removed historically, but Paul talks about this again and again, the amazing thing that God's doing by bridging that gap. 
in, in Acts, so much about it is about the Gentiles coming in, it being freely made available to the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying here now, not only that is like the, you know, the wall's gone, but Jesus is making everyone into one big happy family, so to speak, or that's the goal. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I think of, it's like single-handedly ending the rivalry of the Montagues and the Capulets, if you're a Romeo and Juliet fan, just, just like that, you know, and making them one big happy family. It's kind of like that. And he did it by dealing with that law thing, because it was the law that was keeping everybody apart. It had become something, really, that it, I think in the end it wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't what God wanted it to be, but he, Jesus did away with this idea. He ended the need for the law to be part of what it means to be a part of God's people, to have membership in God's people. And in doing that, he broke down the wall of hostility, it says there. And that's cool. Like, Jesus specializes in that, in breaking down those relational walls. I mean, the fact that it's Paul saying this is one thing here. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, and he's saying this. So it shows how Jesus can do this, how he can change hearts. And I've seen him do that in my life, too, seeing new life into relationships, bridging gaps that I didn't think possible. So that right there is something to take away from today. And in doing that, he brought peace. It's, he's bringing unity. He's bringing togetherness. He's making the two groups into one. And then having done that, he's reconciling the group, this new group of people to God. And let's just pause there for a second because this is an important part. I was listening to a message from Bruxy Cavey that he gave recently on those two verses, verses 15 and 16. And he talks about the surprising order of these verses. Because the order is that Jesus reconciles the group. He breaks down the wall of hostility, unifies the group of people into a new people, and then he takes that group and reconciles the group to God. So it's this shocking order there. Because if you're like me, we're kind of trained to think the other way around, that, that Jesus kind of reconciled a bunch of isolated individuals. And then once that was done, he reconciled those to God and then brought them together. But here, it's actually the reverse. We're kind of reconciled to each other and then brought to God. That there is something to ponder. It's something to think about. It shows us the priority of the church in God's mind. And we've talked about this before in our Spirit in Church series, how the Holy Spirit, the main work of the Holy Spirit is to bring together the church, to make and create the church, God's people. So it's, it's getting at that. It's getting at this idea, I think, and I'm trying to process this as well, where we're really meant to look at this like a team, a team mentality. It's like a hockey team where you win and lose together, so to speak. And it's great when individuals are doing well on the hockey team, but if the whole team's losing, then there's something wrong. You know? So it's placing this really great priority on Jesus and the Holy Spirit creating a new community. And that makes sense, because that's what we're meant for. We're not meant to be alone in this. We're meant to be together. So that's, that's kind of beautiful, I think, when you, when you start to dig into that. So let's, let's move on then. And here's what the nature of that new community is, starting at verse 17. It says, And he came, Jesus came, and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So there's kind of two amazing things here. Um, The one is that you're seeing like this is a game changer for everybody. It's a game changer for the people who are already part of God's people. It's a game changer for the newcomers. And in one way that it's that is everybody is equal now in God's family. You'd think maybe there'd be more like, you know, you got the original God's people the true OGs, so to speak, to say it as the kids say it or the teens say it. And, uh, and then you got the, uh, the other group, the newcomers. So you think there might be this hierarchy there, but there's not. Everybody's part of God's people now. Everybody, everybody is part of God's family. And there's other verses in the New Testament that really drive that home. There's no longer Jew and Gentile in Christ. So everyone's, everyone's together in that kind of a way, in that kind of a healthy, important way. And also, the way that everybody now gets to come together and relate to God is a game changer. Instead of going to the temple like the, God's, like the Israelites were used to, now the new community is God's temple. We're all related to God in this really incredible, intimate way because of the Holy Spirit. And God dwells in our midst um, because of the Holy Spirit. He, his presence is with us. So that's kind of unprecedented unity and closeness to God that Paul is talking about here. So we've kind of gone through the verses. And so my question now is, is what does this say to us about being a healthy spiritual community then? What kind of lessons can we draw? And that's going to be something to unpack in your peer groups. Those of you who are part of a peer group, we can, you can talk about that further, your ideas that you see here. Um, But there's a few that stick out for me um, that I'd want to bring to our attention. And the first one is that it's all about Jesus here. (laughs) Healthy spiritual communities, when Jesus is the cornerstone, as it says, when Jesus is the foundation. So in other words, when being like Jesus is our goal, and when Jesus is our shared love, and his teachings, his example is kind of like the foundation that we build our, ourselves upon, that we share with each other, that we draw from, then there's a chance for unity and togetherness and spiritual health that's just incredible. So that's one big lesson there. Like Jesus is, is kind of everything in this because you see it all through what Paul's saying. It's in Christ. It's because of Christ. It's what Christ has done. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's carrying that on now, and it's through the power of the Spirit that these things are possible. So there's that. And when Jesus is the focus, there's a chance for peace. So a spiritually healthy community is a peaceful community. A community that lets go of the hostility or works through, does the hard work to work through the hostility. That's another thing that I'm seeing ringing out here loud and clear. There's, there's no longer room for like the insider-outsider mentality. There's no longer a need for setting up walls um, that would block people out. And that's interesting because if there are walls that we're starting to build up, 
that's a sign that it's probably us who are building those up, not, not God. And so we need to do maybe the hard work sometimes of, of giving those to God and being reminded that, yep, we're a community of peace. That's spiritual health number two. And number three, if we're reading between the lines in this, a spiritually healthy community is a gracious community, a one where grace is the default. And why is that? Well, all of this is about grace. This whole second chapter is about grace. When Paul was talking at the individual level, we're saved by grace, he said. And now at the collective level, it's all grace. Jesus did the hard work to end the hostility, to bring everyone together. It was a gift of God to us, and it's by the Holy Spirit. So it's all by grace. So in turn, our default to each other is grace. And that really helps to glue everything together, to, to provide room for the Holy Spirit to work. Um, there's someone that I'm drawing from quite a bit for our series, Scott McKnight. He's written a great book called A Church Called Tove. And he actually spoke at the BIC's uh, spring lead event just before the ACM. And here's what he says about grace. He says, The gift of grace transforms us from enemies of God and strangers to one another into members of one big grace-filled family. Unleashing grace has the power to form us into a people who love one another to a degree we never thought possible. So that's the power of grace there. And, you know, if we're reading between the lines even more, I think the important thing is that it's grace, it's forgiveness, but it's also taking that step back to make sure that we're not setting up walls, right? So it's not a grace that turns a blind eye when things are going wrong or when things need to be corrected. But even in that, when we recognize that maybe we've gone a little bit astray, we need a, a course correction, we're doing that <laughs> with grace and working toward peace and trusting in the Spirit through it all. So grace is a bit nuanced there. I, I, I like that about it. Um, and lastly, one more thing. Um, a spiritually healthy community places a priority on community. It's filled with people who understand the importance of getting together. It's filled with people who understand the importance of, that the Spirit is making uh, a, a unified people. And that's kind of what we're, what we're meant for. And we really have seen that with the temple imagery. We've really seen that with this idea of God reconciling us and Jesus reconciling us together. Um, so good. So that's kind of where I want to leave off with filling out Paul's picture there. And uh, just to recap there, right, we've seen that, that Jesus has really done something amazing by breaking down the wall between Gentiles and God's people. He's ended the need for the law for membership into God's people, ended any kind of insider-outsider mentality, inviting everyone in to be part of God's family. And then together, he's reconciled us to God so that we could become God's dwelling place, God's temple. That's it in a nutshell. Um, but here's the thing, right? It, this isn't like an automatic thing in terms of how it works out in our day-to-day -day communities. There's a, a role for each of us to play. There's kind of a responsibility on our part. It's obvious that it's not an automatic thing. If it were, then there wouldn't be church splits. There wouldn't be strife within churches. So there's obviously something that each local church community 
we need to have kind of the right, I guess, priorities here. We need to kind of have the right way of looking at this and understanding, okay, where do we come into this? We're relying on the power of the Spirit, but what do we need to do to allow the Spirit to work? What do we need to do to give the Spirit room to shape us into a unified, peaceful, gracious community that has Jesus at the center? And I'm going to just give an idea out today, because, uh, and, and just to give you a chance to think about it, and we're going to explore it more in the coming weeks, because Paul is going to get into a lot more details for us. But in a nutshell... I'm drawing again from Scott McKnight, but really he's just drawing on the the theme of Scripture all the way through. It's that as a Christ-focused community, it's what our part is, is to work together to foster a culture of God's goodness. A culture of goodness, or as McKnight calls it, a tov culture, which is the Hebrew word for goodness, for God's goodness. And I introduced the culture thing because I think that's helpful. That makes it even more, I guess, practical. It kind of puts it into maybe 21st century language, so to speak, because we kind of get cultures, right? When you put people together for a long enough time, a culture starts to form, right? It happens in businesses. It happens in schools. It happens in church communities. It happens in countries. Humans when they get together, they create a culture. And it happens through kind of the regular accepted behaviors that people do day in and day out together. It happens through the shared values. Um, It happens through our ways of seeing the world and what we think about the world, how we understand each other and the world and our relationships. You bring all that together, and a culture starts to come out. And what McKnight says about the culture is that once it's firmly in place, it kind of becomes its own thing. (laughs) It kind of becomes an agent that's now a new member, and it's a powerful member. It's a member that, on the positive side, creates influence to help us to sustain it. It kind of like gives us this momentum to keep doing the good that we're doing, to keep being the people we're being. And the negative side, though, you see this all the time as well, especially now, like in the news, it just keeps coming to light, different um, organizations that have a toxic culture. Well, that toxic culture, when it's formed, it's got this, this pressure to conform, this pressure to just go along with the group to a point where people are kind of like lost in it, you know, and they're kind of trapped in it. So that's the idea of a culture. It's a really powerful thing. It's a really important thing. And we're called as a, to be a spiritually healthy community to create a goodness culture, <laughs> to create a culture that is filled with God's, um, God's goodness. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, but we have to do our part in making that possible as well. And we do it by focusing on Jesus. That's, that's the last thought, and we're going to explore that more. But we do it by focusing on Jesus. When we kind of together commit to behaving like Jesus together, when we commit to having Christ's values, when we commit to seeing each other through Christ's eyes, seeing God through Christ's eyes, seeing our communities through Christ's eyes, we do that together long enough, (laughs) and the Spirit creates that goodness culture. And when that happens, that's cause for celebration. (laughs) When a community has that goodness culture, then we're talking spiritual health, we're talking something that's really powerful.
So that I'm going to leave you with that thought to think about it. You know, what does that mean then? What does that mean for our day-to-day? And we'll get into it in more details uh, in the week to, weeks to come. All right? <laughs> good, good, good. So I'm going to call the, uh, the worship team up, and uh, we're going to sing another song. And this song, I've chosen it because um, it's a new one. I really like it. But the words in it, I think, really line up with what we've been talking about uh, today. There's words that you're going to see that just really reinforce. Um, so this is a chance for us to now respond, to now respond to God. God's been speaking to us, and now we have a chance to respond and, and give thanks and to, to give our yes <laughs> to God. So why don't you stand up? with us, stretch out, (laughs) and uh, let's sing together.